Hello, everyone, and welcome to Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. I'm Henry, and I work in the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills. To teach is to learn twice over. The French essayist Joseph Joubert said that about 200 years ago. It's a favorite quote of mine, and to me, it's the perfect way to sum up today's topic, because today we're talking about teachers learning, by which I mean their professional development and training while they are in service as teachers. But professional development, what does that mean? Why is it important? And what does it look like? To discuss the issue, I spoke to Edmund Mission, acting CEO for the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership, and Pablo Fraser, an analyst for the OECD Teaching and Learning International Survey. And just a small footnote on what you're about to hear, all the data points come from the Teaching and Learning International Survey's last cycle, which was in 2013. But take a listen to what we talked about, and I'll catch up with you again at the end. For listeners, I'm joined by Edmund Mission from the uh, Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership, and also Pablo Fraser from the Teaching and Learning International Survey has kindly joined me as well. Thank you both for joining. Thanks, Henry. So, Edmund, we're talking today about professional development, the importance of professional development uh, for teachers, but I think professional development's a little bit of a buzzword. I want to just ask you straight out, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by professional development? Are we just talking about, you know, a few summer training seminars uh, like that, or is it, or is there more? Yeah, so I think there's a lot more to it. And one of the things uh, we we do in Australia is deliberately take uh, quite a broad definition of professional development, or in, in fact, we'd normally uh, talk about professional learning. So uh, really there we're talking about all the formal or informal learning experiences undertaken by teachers and school leaders uh, that improve their or are designed to improve their practice um, and their impact on student outcomes, student learning, student engagement and and student well-being. So um, I, I think it's important to talk about professional learning and to take a broad definition and then within that I think professional development can um, can sort of conjure up those images of seminars um, and and courses and I guess formal learning that um, that's important and it has its place but we are we're really trying to broaden that definition and and make sure that teachers are choosing the the type of professional learning that will work best for them. Pablo, if I can throw it over to you straight away, which type is the most common from the data, the type of professional development that teachers engage in, um, and how how many of them from the data? Well, um, around 88% of teachers have participated in some form of professional development. Now, this is a quite huge number. Now, our survey um, covered 38 countries in the last cycle in 2013. And we asked teachers which was the most common type of professional development that they participated. And here, we divided this type of activities into two main categories. One that we call out-of-school formal training. And these are courses, seminars, workshops, that sort of activities. And we find that these type of activities are the most popular ones. Uh, just to give you a, a number, around 70% of teachers on average participated in courses and seminars. 
So that means that those seminars I mentioned, they still have that place. Right? They still have a place, okay. and we see from the data that they are quite requested by teachers. They participate okay. on it quite frequently. We have a second category, uh, which aligns a little bit more to what Edwin was saying, like informal activities, which are school embedded professional embedment. That's what, how we call it. Uh, these are collaborations. School, what was it? School embedded. School embedded professional okay. development. Right. Uh, these are uh, collaboration between teachers, coaching activities, uh, mentorship. Hmm. And these are a little bit less frequent. Uh, for example, only 30% of teachers report they have participated in collaboration and coaching. Uh, we see that uh, out of school a type of professional development is much more popular than within school in-service training. Now, both of these types of training has their place, but we are a little bit more concerned on this issue that we don't see more of this type of training within the school. Edmund, what do you think about that, the uh, out-of-school training versus in-school embedded training? So uh, I'd, I'd share uh, your concern, actually, because... Uh, I think the evidence is pretty clear that the most effective forms of professional learning are those in-school uh, activities. Now, you may well have external experts coming in or some, some form of external stimulus. I think that can be very important. But the most effective professional learning, uh, we, we say it's relevant, collaborative and future-focused. Um, and that leads you towards those uh, those types of professional learning that are working on real problems within the school. Uh, so really looking at the school's data and then uh, designing professional learning to uh, to focus on what needs improving in that school. And that is sustained. That's sort of a long term effort with support with support in place. So uh, I think there are. Again, uh, external seminars and so on might have a place in that. But the model where you just go off, do a seminar, um, come back and try to apply that in the school, uh, I, I think there's fairly strong evidence that that's not the most effective model and uh, the effects of that are likely to be short-term for, for, most, for most things. So I think we have some work to do to really... Um, get out there to teachers and also to, to principals and others who help teachers choose their professional learning, uh, what the most effective forms really are. Mm. And you mentioned principals there. What role are principals going to play in this kind of encouragement of professional development? So I, I think uh, it's an absolutely critical role and there are probably two reasons for that. One is that uh, we know that uh, not much happens in schools without the support of the, the principal. So uh, principals are obviously a critical influence on the type of professional learning that teachers will be doing, as well as actually having responsibility for their own professional learning. But secondly, if you go back to that definition of what the most effective types of professional learning are, then they are things that become part of the life of of the school and principals have a, a obviously a critical role in making sure that a whole school embraces those forms of professional learning, whether it's encouraging and actually freeing up 
time for teachers to observe each other's teaching and give and receive feedback, um, whether it's ensuring that the staff meetings inside a school are focused on teaching and learning and problems of practice rather than administration or at least keeping administration to a minimum, really those, those most effective forms of professional learning uh, will only happen with, with the support of the principal and the leadership of a school. And Pablo, what's principal's current relationship with professional development like? Do we have any data on that? Yes, actually, um, we see that the, the relation between principals and the proliferation of professional development activities is a key aspect. We see from Thales 2013 data that when principals uh, take the role of an instructional leader, that is a leader that is concerned about their teacher practices, that are concerned about student outcomes, that are concerned about what the teacher is doing in the classroom. When principals assume this role, this leads to the, the proliferation of a professional learning community in the school. A professional learning community is where teachers collaborate uh, with each other, um, they provide feedback to each other, they share the same values, the same vision, the same goals. These are all key aspects of a professional learning community, which is essential to conduct this type of within in-service training in the schools that we talk about. So the challenge that we have here is changing the paradigm from the traditional role of the principal as just an administrator um, to have more of a role of someone that can guide teachers in their uh, professional needs and in also in their practices. And Edmund, for principals, you know, do you have any kind of advice or any insight on how they strike that balance between being the administrative leader and the actual pedagogical leader that can guide teachers through, you know, their lifelong learning? Look, it's really interesting because we're we're having quite a debate uh, about that at the moment in Australia. We just had a major review of the education system, which reached that same conclusion that the the most important thing for principals is to focus on leadership of learning or or instructional leadership. Um, and there's a real debate going on now about how the balance between that and the other aspects of the role. So we, we have a professional standard uh, for principals, which uh, talks about all aspects of the role from uh, the leading the management of the school through to leading teaching and learning, developing self and others and engaging with, with the community. And there's a debate going on about whether leadership of learning should be prioritised in that standard. One of, one of the sort of best answers I've heard to that is that you can't deny those aspects of the role. You know, the principal will have to worry about, um, you know, where, whether there are enough pens and, and whether the drains are blocked and so on. As far as possible, all of those decisions um, should come back to the impact on on learning. So when you're thinking about the physical environment of the school, you're setting it up for learning. Um, and, and there are even quite symbolic things. I, I heard a brilliant example because here in Australia, of course, in the southern hemisphere, uh, the summer holidays fall over the Christmas break. And I was talking to a principal late last year um, and they'd put someone helpfully had put a 
Christmas tree up in the foyer of the school. And the principal had actually had it taken down uh, because it had gone up too early and it was sending the wrong message to uh, to everyone in the school, the students and the staff, that it was time to start winding down for for the summer break. So that's an example of a decision that seemingly has nothing to do with, with teaching and learning, but in fact this principal very insightfully had, had seen the impact on teaching and learning. And I think when principals have that sort of mindset, um, then then that that is really going going to be helpful in the school and that you know clearly uh, flows through to examples like I was talking about earlier of making sure that your meetings to the extent that it's possible are focused on teaching and learning so I think generally there is an acceptance about uh, the importance of teaching and learning you know that that's an easy case to make in one way the the question is um, is really about uh, how how far it's realistic to expect principals to devote the majority of their time to that, and it it may be that school systems have a role here in in trying to reduce that that administrative burden. I just want to add what Edmund is saying that yes, there is a challenge of what is feasible to demand to one single person, to one leader, to one principal of what they can take care of. Maybe what we need to think is having certain appointed person who are responsible exclusively or, or, or mainly about the administrative issues and have other members of the leadership staff in, in the school who are mainly focused on providing guidance to teachers on their training and in the structure. Yeah, so you're talking about dis distributing leadership. Yes. A bit more. Okay. Um, so I want to bring it back to, you know, professional development on the school and system level. I want to ask Pablo, are there any outstanding examples of how professional development is organized in different countries that we can kind of look at for guidance? Yes, I, I think one of the most um, gold standards of professional development is, is the example of Singapore. Singapore allocate 100 hours per year to teachers for professional development. And teachers have the flexibility on how to allocate those hours. They can allocate those hours in participation courses or seminar. They can enroll in higher education institutions to do a specific course in something that they want to, to train for, classroom management, teaching special needs students, an issue like that. Or they can devote those hours to do within school training, uh, like participate in, in mentorship opportunities that the school can provide. Um, participate in networks of teachers. So this is a, a very good example because it gives power to the teachers to see themselves what is the best allocation, what they need the most. They also allocate some specific school funding to support teachers who venture in this more within school type of training. So I think this is a very um, ideal approach because it's a model that allows tailoring the offer to the needs of what the teacher uh, requests. I worry that the, if I'm being pessimistic, that there could be resistance from teachers in engaging these in these kind of activities. Mm. I think maybe as a final question, uh, just very quickly for both of you is, in your experience, is there resistance from teachers? And if so, what can be done about it? Um, Edmund, maybe you could give us uh, your insight. 
so look, I I think there is uh, some resistance always, uh, and part of the problem is simply that teachers are very busy and and there are a lot of calls on their time, and unless they really see the value of professional learning, uh, they they are going to resist uh, having yet another call on their time. So I think it's important that the professional learning is of high quality uh, and also that that uh, the teachers see that, that that's quite visible, that they can really uh, see a benefit from the activities they're participating in. Um, one, one of the things we find, for example, is that uh, more experienced teachers uh, often feel that they've gained less benefit from professional learning, that, uh, you know, maybe they're not learning anything they didn't already know. So uh, I think there's a, a question of how we kind of energise uh, some of those groups of teachers about professional learning. Uh, and I do think as far as possible, uh, embedding it in the life of the school rather than teachers seeing it as an add-on that they're doing out of hours or on the weekends uh, is, is a really good approach. It also, as we've said, happens to be the most effective form of, of professional learning. Yes, um, I totally agree with what Edmund is saying. And I think I will rephrase this in an other way that, than a resistance, because I think teachers are eager to learn. I think teachers uh, are interested in acquiring new tools and new knowledge that can help them to do their work uh, better. But I think there are barriers more than a resistance from them. There are barriers for the participation. And I think one of the issues, like Edmund said, is um, their schedule. They may feel overburdened with the current workload and they don't feel they have the time to invest in additional work. So that's a challenge for how systems can manage the requirements for professional development within the regular work hours uh, of a teacher. The other important point here is to acknowledge teachers for the invested time in training. By acknowledging, I mean that provides the necessary incentives for participation. That means that if teachers dedicate certain amount of hours in professional development, that can count in for promotion, a, a possibility of moving a, a, across the, the, the career ladder, bonus salaries, or any other type of incentives that can reward the teacher or make the teacher know that uh, the system is valuing their efforts to get the, the training. So big thank you to Edmund and Pablo for chatting. If you want to learn more about the OECD Teaching and Learning International Survey, just go to www.oecd.org forward slash education forward slash TALIS. That's T-A-L-I-S. And of course, to catch up on all of OECD's work on education, you can go to our Twitter page, which is at OECD EduSkills. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.